All right, we're starting a new series called Missing the Point. Uh, we've been going through the book of Luke for the past couple of years, and we're going to probably do it for another couple of years because we're going through it slow. We're going to be looking through chapter 11. So if you have a Bible at home or if you want to go online, you could read through it, and you could, you know, you could kind of guess what we're going to talk about next week. Um, but if you want to know what the theme of chapter 11 is, it's this, it starts with a simple question. His disciple asks Jesus a simple question, and then Jesus attempts to answer the question, and that leads to another thing, to another thing, and eventually Jesus goes on this rant about how everybody's missed a point. So originally I was going to call this series Grumpy Jesus, but my wife said don't say that because, well, I just said it, I guess, but it's like people might be offended by it. So we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it Missing the Point. And, uh, <laughs> and we're going to be going through chapter 11 for the next 10 weeks. Uh, we're going to really slow down towards the end because there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to be starting off with a simple question, and the question is this. Why hasn't God granted your prayer requests? You probably asked God for something, and maybe some of you were even expectant that God would respond in a certain way, and he didn't. And the question is, why hasn't he answered your prayer requests? Have you guys ever experienced this before? Am I the only one who, who's pray- Thank you, thank you. All five of us, we could form our own small group and we'll, we'll cry together. Okay. But okay, so I'll give you an example of what it feels like to, to pray and have your answer, prayers answered sometimes, but not all the time. So most of you, I'm assuming all of you, have been in a situation where you're standing at a red light, you're a pedestrian, and you push the button for the light to turn green. And some of you are like pushing it, you're like, oh, turn green. This thumb is allowing me to walk through this street unharmed by the other cars because I have the power to change the light. But there are other times where you're like, I gotta go, I gotta go. You push the button, it doesn't work. And you push it, maybe, maybe it didn't register the first time, so you push it two times, three times, five times, ten times. And some people are like, no, 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 it doesn't work. You just hold it down. So you have your, your own system. You hold it down, and you're hoping that by holding it down, it'll register the thing that you just did and that the light will change. And it doesn't. And some of you are like, I bet somebody's watching me right now, laughing at me, because they know that this button is not connected to anything. You know, so sometimes you push the button and it changes. Other times you push the button, it doesn't change. Sometimes you do a special trick with it, like you push it three times, you stop, and then maybe two more times, and then it'll change. I don't know. You have your own systems, right? And other times you're wondering, I wonder if the light would have changed anyways, even if I didn't push the button, right? And I think a lot of times that's what prayer feels like. You pray and something happens and you're wondering if it would have happened anyways if you didn't pray. Like, was it chance? Is God even listening or is God even real? Like, you have all these questions that come in your mind. And so the question that I put posted on the screen here is, is not just, oh yeah, here's a question for you to think about. It's a question that I think will help all of us get on the same page because we could all relate to this. We've prayed for certain things and sometimes things happen, sometimes things don't happen and you're wondering, would it have happened anyways? Or is God listening? Or... What is God trying to teach me here? Or my prayers work 90% of the time, but not this time. You know, I, I don't know where you stand, but we all know that sometimes it could get frustrating. So this is the exact same question that the disciples asked Jesus. Because they see Jesus doing something, they see him praying, and they're like, this is the perfect opportunity to ask Jesus this question. So this is where we're going to pick up Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Here we go. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. doesn't say where, just a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Like, hey, you're our teacher. We follow you. 
Uh, so maybe you could teach us a little, you know, insight as to how we ought to pray. And Jesus says, all right, okay. So here we go. This is what he said. He said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, most of you guys who grew up in church, you're like, hey, I know this prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. I memorized it. it. It sounds a little different from this. And the reason is because Jesus answers this exact same question in the book of Matthew, another biography of Jesus. And in that version, it's like an extended version. But truth be told, it's actually, that's the real version, and this is the abridged version. So some of you guys have memorized it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, etc., etc., etc. And so you could tell by looking at this version that Luke, the writer, he pulled out some details. And the reason why he pulled out some details is because Luke, unlike Matthew, isn't so much concerned about the content of Jesus' prayer. This is what he's trying to say here, is that, next screen, that Luke wants to focus more on the posture of prayer rather than the content. He's saying, okay, yeah, you can say the same thing that Jesus said, okay, because Jesus did say, say this if when you pray, okay? Just because Jesus gave you the content doesn't mean that it's going to work all of a sudden. Luke is more interested in teaching the reader, that's us, that there's a certain posture we need to have when we're praying. So it's not all about content, it's about the heart. And the reason we know this is because for the next few verses, that's all Jesus talks about. So this is where Jesus kind of breaks down into parable mode. He tells stories, and he's trying to teach us this one truth. Now, before we get into this parable, I want to warn you guys, it's going to get a little... Bible nerdy. So if you're into like Bible nerd stuff, you're going to be like, yes. And the rest of you are going to be like, what did he just say? I encourage you guys, um, if you don't believe the things I'm going to talk about, you can look it up for yourself, do your own research. But I'm going to do my best to, to um, walk us through it one step at a time because I don't want to lose anybody. This is very important stuff. As a matter of fact, I went to two seminaries. Uh, I went to Fuller Seminary. I went to Azusa Pacific Seminary. And in both schools, I learned so much. In both schools, when there was um, office hours, I took advantage of every single one of them. And so one of the things I did was, when I was in Fuller, I I would try to find out when all the, um, the, the office hours were. And I would go to my New Testament professor, and I would just sit down, and he says, do you have any questions? And I said, no, I don't have any questions. I just want to know what you're studying right now. And this is one of the passages that we talked about for about three or four weeks. This is something that he was like, I'm really wrestling with this, Kotz. I, uh, me and the other scholars, we debated about this. And so I just want to let you know, this passage I'm going to talk about today is something that's being talked about in the scholarly world, and it's still up for question. But because they needed to have something more solid, when the Bible was published, it was published in a certain way. We'll get to it when we get there. Okay. All right. So let's continue. This is what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Okay, it's going to get a little confusing from here on out, so I have some visual aids. And the visual aid are not these two things. It's going to be two guys. I need two males. Your job is just to sit there and be pointed at by me. So I need two volunteer males. And the reason it's a, it's a male is because, all right, Tim, thank you. You get to choose, since you're first, you get to choose. You want to be the sleeper who would be sitting there the whole time or the knocker who's going to be taking this and knocking on this thing. All right. 
Okay, I need one more male. Come on up, come on up. All right, come on, give it up. Thank you. What's your name? I'm Ryan. Ryan? All right, okay, you could grab that right there. Okay, so this is your knocker. He's going to be at the door knocking, so he could practice. Perfect. And you're going to be the sleeper. You could just sit there. All right, okay. So this is the story so far. Okay, so he's like, I have a friend over. It's midnight. I need some bread. He comes over here and knocks on the door. So far, so good? All right, okay, next verse. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. Now, cultural context here. In those days, you would sleep with your children, especially when they're really young. And, and when I say you sleep with their children, it doesn't mean in the, in the same room you have multiple beds. We're talking about everybody cuddles together, and so if the kids fall asleep and you have to get up, that means the kids are going to wake up also. So what he's saying is it's very inconvenient for me to get up to, to answer the door and fulfill the wish that you had on the other side of the door. Okay, so that's what's happening here. And then Jesus gives a lesson. This is a verse that's, in, that's, that's highly contested. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So let's define some rules here, okay? So when it says, I tell you, that's the audience, that's you guys, okay? Though he will not get up, he is sleeper. He is not, Tim is not going to get up, right, and give you, who's you? The knocker, right? Give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Who's shameless audacity? Okay. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, the way that this verse has been interpreted in common America, okay, is he's going to be at the door knocking. Go ahead, knock. He's not going to get up, but he will get up because what? You keep knocking, keep knocking, keep going, keep going. Until it gets annoying. And end scene. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> now, there's a problem with this translation. There is a huge problem with this translation because, number one, okay, the problem with this, number one, is this, that Jesus did not demonstrate shameless audacity. When his disciple went up to Jesus and said, can you teach us how to pray? How do you make prayer requests come true? How do you do it? Jesus wasn't like, well, this is what you do. First, take off your shirt, right, and then scream as loud as you can and be like, Father in heaven, Father, Daddy, Daddy, hey, Dad, hey, are you listening, Dad? Hey, hey. And God's like, okay, just be quiet. You're just making, you know, you're embarrassing yourself. Fine, I'll answer your prayer request. Jesus, when Jesus is asked, how do you pray, he doesn't teach people to pray with shameless audacity. Are you guys following with this? The, the advice that Jesus gives in this story doesn't match the previous verses. He's not doing the knock, knock. Jesus doesn't say, keep going. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say do this. Okay, so there's a problem with this translation. The second problem with the way we translate this verse is this. It's not consistent with the Greek text. If you guys have been here for any time, you understand that the New Testament is written in Greek, okay? So let me show you the verse again, verse 8, and this is what it says. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet you're, because of your shameless audacity, that's the part that's always being questioned by scholars. Because when we say your, we're assuming it's the knocker, right? Now, let me show you. Okay, because in this story, we have he, which is referring to 
the, sit, the, the sleeper, the sitter, okay? And whenever it says your or you, it's referring to the knocker. Now, here's the problem with this. The translators took the verse and s- took, created two words so you could distinguish between the two people. But let me show you the Greek. Now, those of you who study Greek are like, oh, I totally see it now. <laughs> okay, that yellow part is the one that says your shameless audacity. Actually, the word your is second. Okay, but what's, the, what's interesting is this. In this right here, there is not one mention of the word you. As a matter of fact, if you were to translate this into English, word for word, this is what it would look like. Next screen. I say to you, that's the only time he uses the word you because he's talking to you. If even not he will give to him, having risen up because of the, uh, of the being friend of him, because of yet the shameless nature of him, having risen, he will give him as much as he needs. What's going on here is this. When Jesus tells his story, he uses the word he for both parts of the story. The translators, the NIV translators, looked at the text and said, this is confusing. We need to make it easy for people to understand because for the NIV translators, their number one goal is to make sure that you don't lose interest in reading the Bible. That when you read it, you're like, I have no idea what he's saying. And so at that point, the translators come in and say, let's make it so that we have two nouns, two pronouns. One is he, him, right? And the other one is you. That way we could distinguish between the two. But when it comes to the words, your shameless audacity, your that's the part my professor was really f- frustrated over because he couldn't figure out which person he was pointing to. Are you guys following so far? Okay, I'm so glad you said yes. Okay, because if, if I lost you there, then you have no, I have no sermon. Okay, I will share with you one thing, okay, and you guys will be done pretty soon. <laughs> when it comes to translating, there are some tools that scholars use in order to figure out what certain words mean and which characters that these words are pointing to. One of the ways they do it is that in ancient Hebrew, even though the New Testament's written in Greek, they lived in a Hebrew culture in the New Testament. When rabbis taught, and Jesus was a rabbi, they used something called a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure, okay? Chiasm, I know you could drop that in a conversation, people would be like, oh, you sound so smart. But, okay, but chiasm is this. I'll give you an example. I woke up this morning, and I left the house, and I went to church. And now, I'm leaving church, I got back in my house, and I went to bed. Do you see how there's a parallel? Like, if there's A, B, and C, there's a C, B, and A. It's like this mirror. Okay, that's called a chiastic structure. And a lot of times, rabbis would teach in chiasm. And the reason he does that is because a lot of times, people didn't know how to write to take notes. People were illiterate. Most of the people were illiterate back then. So what they would do is they'll tell a story in a certain way so it's easy to remember. So it just refl- if you can remember half the story, then you can remember the other half of the story. And it turns out this story that Jesus tells has a chiasm, a chiastic structure. So if you look at the screen, the first one is this. A, and this is how we, use, we say A and A prime, it says the sleeper will not give to the knocker, but the reflection of that A prime at the end of the story is the sleeper will give to the knocker. Do you see how it mirrors each other? Okay, now let's go to B. B, the sleeper will not rise up, but the, the reflection of that is the sleeper will rise up. Do you see how it mirrors? Okay, now the next part is a big question mark. Okay, so let's take a look at that. Not because of the sleeper's friendship and the C prime is because of the blank's shamelessness. Do you see how in each instance, the sleeper is the subject of the line? 
Do you see that? So if we were to follow this structure, then we have to conclude this, that it's because of sleeper's shamelessness or shameless audacity. So if you were to revise this version of verse 8, this is what it will look like. I tell you, the sleeper will not get up and give the knocker the bread because the sleeper's friendship, but the sleeper will get up and give the knocker because of the sleeper's reputation. And by reputation, we're specifically talking about how he has a good reputation in this community, okay? But if he doesn't answer the door, then he will end up with a shameful reputation, and he wants to stay shameless. He has a reputation to keep, and that's why he's going to get up and answer the door. In other words, this is the big thought here, the sleeper helped the knocker to maintain his good reputation. The reason he gets up to help him give him bread is not because he was making a fool of himself outside the door. It's not because he was annoying. It's because he is a good giver of gifts. And if he doesn't get up at risk of waking up his children, right? If he doesn't get up and help the person, he knows that he's not living up to his good reputation. Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you so much. Well, you were already sitting. (laughs) Thank you. In other words, these people who are listening to the story, when they're listening to Jesus teach, this is what they're hearing. The reason why the sleeper got up and answered the door is because of his character, his reputation in the community. He could have gone to any door and knocked on any door, but he chose to knock on this door. Why? Because he is a good person. He has a good reputation, right? The sleeper getting out of bed has more to do with who he is than your relationship to him. Remember earlier he's, in Jesus' teaching, he said, I'm not, he's not going to get up to answer the door because, he's, because of the friendship that you guys have. He's going to get up because of, his, because of his reputation. So if we were to translate this into today's world, our world, it would be this, that God is a generous giver regardless of who asks. Some of you are thinking, you know, I've been a Christian for nine years, and I understand at the 10th year, you kind of cross that line where God listens to your prayers a little more closely. So I'm a four-year Christian, so I'm going to talk to a 12-year Christian, and I'm going to ask him for prayer requests because he's going to answer my prayer, you know, right? (laughs) Or, you know, like, I'm new to this Christianity thing. God's not going to listen to my prayer intently, but I know he'll listen to the pastor's prayer. You know, like, he says, your relationship with God has nothing to do with why God answers or doesn't answer your prayers. As a matter of fact, I'll take this even further, and Jesus will back me up in a few verses, okay? If you are not a Christian and you pray to God, that has nothing to do with God answering or not answering your prayer. I know. You guys are like, what? I thought God would listen to Christian prayers. No, 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 no. Even if this is your first time praying, if maybe today's the day you're going to say, I'm not a believer, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, but I definitely need help in my life, I'm going to ask God for something. According to Jesus, God listens intently to that person's prayer as much as a person who is, who is 20 years into their faith. So Jesus continues his teaching. This is what he says. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Not because of who you are, not because of your relationship to the, to the sleeper, but because of who the sleeper is. And to prove my point, Take a look at the next verse. For everyone, not just Christians or believers or followers, for everyone who asks, receives. And the Greek there for the word everyone means 
everyone. <laughs> it's not like specific. It's not, yeah. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. God does not discriminate against anybody when it comes to prayer requests. It doesn't matter if you're like, oh, I did something really bad yesterday, so God's not going to listen to my prayer. He's like, I listen to your prayer anyways. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you're doing right now. I still listen to your prayer. But then at this point, you're like, wait a minute, Cots. If that's true, then there's been so many times when I prayed and nothing's happened. Like, Jesus, I, I, if this is true, then no matter if I was in the middle of my sin, after my sin, or I was just about to sin, or, you know, whatever, I'm a bad person, a good person, or, you know, I just did something really bad, I don't know, right? He's like, regardless of what happened, when I pray and something doesn't happen, I was taught, or maybe I just picked up on the fact that if God doesn't listen to my prayers, it's because, because I'm a bad person. I, I, that's what I thought. Like, God always answers prayers if it's a good prayer. I thought it was my fault that the prayers weren't being answered. Jesus, is that where you're, whose fault is it that my, pra- my prayers are not being answered? And Jesus said, I knew you were going to ask that, and so that's why I'm going to continue my teaching. Here, this is what he says. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, Jesus is making a very, well, he's being snarky here a little bit. This is where his grumpiness kind of starts, right? He's being sarcastic. Um, But he's actually making a really interesting point here. What he's saying is, you as human beings, when somebody says, Daddy, can I have some egg? You're not going to say, let me think about that. Oh, you know what? I'm going to give you poison. Like, no one does that, right? I mean, this is the equivalent of that. It's like, Daddy, can I get a hug? How about I slap you? Like, right? It's like, Jesus is making, he's making a joke here. Like, like that's not normal, right? And he's, he's basically saying, when you question God, when you say, I want to ask God for something, but I'm afraid that when I ask him for something, he's going to give me some punishment instead, what you're basically implying is that you are more, you, you have more love than God, that you have more mercy than God, that you have more gracious than God. And he's like, that's not the case, right? God wants to give you good things. When you ask for something good, he wants to give it to you. But the problem is, sometimes when you ask for good things, and you're convinced it's a good thing, it's really not a good thing. And because God is a good giver of good gifts, he doesn't want to give you those good things that you think are good, but it's actually not good. Jesus clarifies the next verse. He says, if you then, though you are evil, and that's, again, he's being, like, he's overstating it, but he's like, you knowing that you're imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give blank to those who ask him? He says, God is good. If you really believe that he is good, you shouldn't be worried about asking for requests, regardless of who you are. Let's just say you made a big mistake yesterday. Maybe it was something that's unforgivable in the eyes of millions of people. And now you're hesitant. You're like, I don't know if I want to go and knock on that door. I don't know if I want to go and ask God for something because he's not going to listen to me. What Jesus says here is, well, let's just, you know, like you're equating God to an evil father. You think God's not going to listen to you because you did something bad? Are you underestimating how much God actually loves you? Now, the reason I left that part blank is, for, is so that I could build it up for you guys, okay? Um, he says, if you ask for something good, God will want to give it to you, right? But what you would think would go into that blank would be like, oh, how much more will your Father in Heaven give him 
whatever you ask for to those who ask him. That's what you would think he would say. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says this. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And you're like, wait a minute, but Jesus, that's not what I asked for. The other day I was praying, God, could you give me a million dollars because that would make me a lot happier. And Jesus is like, you asked for a million dollars? Okay, here, here's the Holy Spirit. And you're like, but, but that, that's not what I asked for. Or, I want a spouse so bad, God. I could, can you bring me the perfect person to come in my life? I'm so glad you asked that. Here's the Holy Spirit. Like, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. What are you, what are you doing, God? God, I, I just want to get an A on that exam without really studying. Mm, here's the Holy Spirit. I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I asked for an A on my exam. How come you're giving me the Holy Spirit when I ask for anything? Jesus is, again, making this really important point here, okay? The Holy Spirit, the role, okay, so if you think about God, the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy, each, each character of the, of the Trinity plays a specific role in the kingdom of God. Okay, so for example, Jesus of the three comes down and he becomes one of us, right? He dies and sacrifices. Jesus plays the role of the sacrificial part of the Godhead, right? The Holy Spirit plays a part where he comes and dwells within us and transforms us from the inside out. He's trying to make us into different people. God created you with an image saying, this is what I want you to be as a human being, right? But you are not that right now. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes into you and starts to rearrange the things in your heart so that you become more and more the person that God intended you to be, okay? So what he's really saying here is this. You ask for something. I want a million dollars, God. And he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Well, why did you give me the Holy Spirit? I asked for a million dollars. Well, the reason why he gave you the Holy Spirit is because of this. If we ask and don't receive, it is because God is good, and a good God will not give you gifts that are not good for you. You're asking for the wrong thing. When God wants you to ask for an egg, you're asking God, would you please send me a snake? And God's like, I'm a good God, and I want to send you a snake. Um, I, I, want, I want an omelet, because you know, I like the protein. I like, you know, just give me an omelet. And God says, I could give you that, but when you ask for a scorpion, I can't give you that. God wants you to ask for the right things. And everything that we ask for is not necessarily good. And so in order for us to start asking for the right things, God sends us the Holy Spirit so that he will transform us and make us people who start asking for the things that God wants us to ask for. And you're like, but God, you gave so-and-so this, and that was good, right? So why don't you give the same thing to me? Well, did you know that the good gift in the wrong hands is also bad? Here, here, take a look at this. A good gift to the wrong person is still a bad gift. Why? Because you're probably not in the same stage of life as that person. A million dollars in one person's pocket could be seen as a good thing, but a million dollars in your pocket might actually be the thing that takes you down this really dark path. You don't know, right? Or maybe it was meant for you, but you're not mature yet. That person that God wants you to be is a person that deserves that gift, but the person that you are right now is not good for you. And so even a good gift could be bad in the per- hands of the wrong person. Another thing that Jesus is implying here is this. A good gift at the wrong time is a bad gift. I need this now. God's like, no, I can't give it to you now. It is a good gift. You're asking for the right things, but now's not the time for that. God is saying, he's not saying no. He's actually telling you, you need to wait a little bit because it'll be in your hands soon. But right now, if I give it to you, it is not a good gift. A good gift 
at the right time to the right person is a good gift. This is why when we ask for things, God sometimes says no, sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says yes. Because sometimes we're not asking for the right things at the right time for the right person. And the way that we start asking for the right things to the right people at the right time, you know, right person, I forgot what I said, okay. <laughs> the only way that could happen is if God starts to correct us and transform us and make us more and more into the person that God wants us to be so that we're the right person to receive the good gifts. God wants to use you to do amazing things in this world. And if the good gift that, that you ask for keeps you from doing those things, then it's not a good gift anymore. God wants you to discover who you are and become a better version of who you are. But if this gift, this good gift, makes you not into that, then he's going to withhold it from you because then it's not a good gift anymore. The point that Jesus is making is this, that the Holy Spirit transforms us so we desire good things. And by good things, we're talking about the right things that will help us grow. And this is why transformation is so important. This is why prayer is so important. Because sometimes we ask God for certain things and God gives us something different and you're like, why did you give me this? Sometimes it comes in the form of a heartbreak. Why would a good God allow me to go through heartbreak? It's like, it's because you need to grow. You know, I've been in ministry long enough from youth ministry to today where I've heard people make requests to me saying like, God, can you pray for this? And one of the most common ones, especially when I was working with young, younger adults, is can you bring, you know, like a spouse into my life. Like, I want to get married soon. All my friends are getting married and I'm still like not dating. It's because I haven't found the right person yet. God, would you pray that, that you bring the right person into my life, the perfect person into my life? How could God say no to that? I mean, that sounds like, would God be like, nope, you don't deserve the right person? Like, like, yes, of course you want the right person in someone's life, right? But what I always hear is, is that they are always looking for the right person, Right? but they're not thinking about the perspective of the other person. Like let's just say this perfect person walked into the room. Does that person really deserve you? You're like this person saying, <laughs> I know, in the, in the most loving way I'm saying this, okay? I love you, okay. <laughs> it's like saying, I have a Pinto and I want to have a Ferrari. And a Ferrari comes in and says, I'm not looking for a Pinto. I'm looking for something that's, you know, more comparable to, to you know, well, okay, you get what I'm, what I'm saying. Okay, but what, what he's saying is, Maybe rather than asking God to bring the right person into your life, maybe what we should be praying for is, God, would you make me into the person that would be matched up with the right person? Why is it that we're always asking God for things and people and circumstances and situations when we maybe we should be asking God to make us into the people that we're asking for? If you notice in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, the book of Acts is just filled with prayer. As a matter of fact, there isn't, I think maybe there's one chapter, I'm not sure, but there's almost every chapter has at least somebody praying in it. I don't know if you noticed that. And it's also the book with a lot of persecution. People are getting whipped and people are being flogged. People are being put in prison, right? Something bad is always happening in the book of Acts. Did you know that in all those chapters when they pray, not once they ask for God to change the circumstance? They never say, God, would you please stop making, would you stop making them hurt us or would you stop their persecution? They never say that. Every time they pray in the book of Acts, they always pray for strength so they can endure the situation that they're in. Perhaps prayer is a way for God to change us. Maybe prayer isn't, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me that. Maybe we should make me into a person where you can give me certain things, 
Will you make me into a generous person? And once I become a generous person, then maybe at that point, you will give me some things that I could distribute to the world. Because if you give it to me now, I'll just hoard it. Would you bring, would you teach me, you know, would you make the world a place where, where we all get along? That would be a great prayer request, except the fact that you can't get along with the people around you. Maybe the prayer request that you should be asking is, would you make me into a person who sees past the color of the skin, who sees past gender, who sees past anything that might be keeping you from loving the people around you? This is why Jesus says, when you ask for something, God does not discriminate. He always listens to your prayers and he always answers your prayer by sending you the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is interested in transforming you to become the person where God can gift you the things he asked for. Amen? Amen.